The Rainmaker Evolution to increase freedom, create momentum, and embrace simplicity in your financial services practice. You're listening to the Rainmaker Evolution podcast with Joel Johnson, certified financial planner, co-founder of Johnson Brunetti, author of The Money Map, and leader of the Rainmaker Evolution Mastermind Group. And now, here's Joel. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another Rainmaker Evolution podcast. I'm real excited about the podcast today because we don't have a producer on the podcast, but I think that's great because uh, some of you, you, you know, you only listen to other producers and uh, other financial advisors, and you don't listen to pros in different areas. That's one of the reasons why sometimes I piggyback on a Joe Polish or Dean Jackson podcast and send it to you. I want to I want to teach you all something that I've learned, which I think is very important, is get out of just getting advice from people who are just like us and maybe get some expert advice from people that come from slightly different backgrounds, know enough about our business to be helpful, um, but also maybe put a new perspective on things. So before I tell you who our guest is, got to start with my regular compliance uh, little spiel here, which is, uh, as you know, don't be a knucklehead. Uh, anything that we say on this podcast, whether it's myself or the guest, um, you are responsible for your own compliance. You are responsible for your own regulatory scrubbing. Uh, we are not recommending that you go out and say something or do something that may be okay for me in my market based on my attorneys and my compliance people, but it may not be okay for you. So um, now that we have that out of the way, uh, like I said, I'm real excited about the podcast today. We're going to be talking about marketing and other things today. And I have a very special guest um, who I admire. We sat in a training together and I could tell right away uh, that uh, he thinks like I think in some ways, but I think we're going to find out probably a little bit that we have some differences also. And so I have with me Mark Gaffney. So Mark, welcome to the Rainmaker Podcast. Oh, Joel, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. So I always like to start out with this question. Uh, by the way, Mark, have you heard, have you been listening to any of the podcasts? And it's okay if the answer is no. No, I've not had the opportunity, but I have had the opportunity to speak with so many of the men and women who have been through your program and my travels across the country with AE Coach. So uh, I wouldn't say I'm intimately familiar with what, what it is that you do, but I will say that I have enough knowledge to, you know, uh, say one, first of all, I've, there's been tremendous feedback, all positive, and two, you know, I'm real excited today to talk to you more about it. Great. Okay. And just so you know, Mark, and anybody else that might be listening, because we email out the podcast, is it's also up on iTunes. You can just subscribe to it. So um, there's probably about 30 to 35 different episodes on there, some with guests, some with just me rambling about things that I've learned sometimes the hard way. We try to, uh, p part of the, part of what you pay for to be in the group is to hopefully avoid some of the pain um, of, uh, of what I've experienced. So, you know, there's a, there's a price to be paid to grow in this business. And sometimes we can pay the price with dollars and sometimes we can pay the price with pain. And I would rather pay the price with dollars. So, um, just so you know, you can subscribe to that. Okay. So, um, so Mark, if I was to ask you the question, who is Mark Gaffney? How would you answer that? Uh, I first and foremost, I'm a creature of small business, uh, whether it's marketing operations, admin sales, I've had a fondness for small business since I graduated college and worked with my father on his business, uh, which was a health food supermarket, mini supermarket in the New York area. And that's where I really fell in love with this small entrepreneur. And it just so happened that um, shortly thereafter, uh, doors opened up and I got to a chance to work. This was in 94. Uh, with the advertising behemoth out of New York, Reuben H. Donnelly. And that's really where I started to make my, my marketing bone. So if I was to encapsulate it, creature of small business with a heavy emphasis on marketing. So you grew up in the city? Well, about 30 miles north in okay. Westchester County. Yes, of course. We're just actually about to open an office down that way. Okay, great. And, and, and then, uh, so you went, where'd you go to school? Uh, I went to Walter Panis High School, if you're people who are familiar with that area, but I went to college at State University of New York, SUNY Oswego. Okay, great. So how long did you work with your dad in the, um, in the health food store I was store probably business? there about four years, maybe four plus years, and, um, you know, got to really, it was, it was wonderful experience. Uh, right from the, the get-go of the business, we had a manila shell 
in a strip center uh, where we were involved in everything from putting the tile down, shelves, refrigerators, you know, we did everything from organic produce to canned goods to frozen goods, vitamin supplements. So it was really a tremendous, you know, uh, four-year experience. And this was back in the late 90s? Well, it was back in the late 80s, early 90s. Okay, so you guys were way ahead of this whole craze with sprouts and whole foods and all that stuff. Interestingly enough, you know, timing is everything. Um, my father ended up selling his store to GNC because it was at that time that GNC was expanding nationwide and they were looking for, if you will, mom-and-pop shops to kind of take over. So uh, that, that was a, a rather fortuitous break for my father. Good, good, good. So then you ended up in Tampa working for RME, right? Or was that... Oh, yeah, was well, that... there's a lot of steps in between, but we'll fast forward. Um, you know, I've spent my life in three industries um, for the most part. And uh, the, the, in 2001, to fast forward, it's really where I got into financial services. And I started on the mortgage side of the fence. Uh, and then in 97, 98, got onto this side of the fence through RME. That's correct. And uh, I spent two wonderful years with them. Uh, and I'll tell you something, uh, in retrospect, really learning targeted direct mail under the tutelage of George Villar, uh, that's really the crown jewel in my, you know, my marketing arsenal for advisors. Uh, so yeah, two years at RME, and then I went to work for an advisor, and uh, that was Matt Dickin. And uh, so all in all, spent about seven years with Matt, and then it just sort of graduated into working directly for Advisors Excel with my independent marketing company. And now I have the great privilege, Joel, of traveling this country and meeting wonderful advisors uh, through a the AE Coach Initiative. And just a side note, uh, the vast majority of those have been $20 million and up producers, which as much as I've been able to share, man, I've learned so much as well. That's awesome, and we'll, we'll get into some of that. I want to go back, though, for a minute, because you must – well, I'm not going to tell you how I feel. How do you feel when you sit in a talk and somebody brags about uh, not doing any direct marketing, and especially when they talk about direct mail as if it's something um, to be looked at like, well, when I get successful, I'll never have to do direct mail anymore. How, how, what, what kind of goes through your mind when you hear that? Oh, sure. Well, you know, uh, I always swallow the jagged pill that there's a thousand ways to skin a cat but it always cycles me back to there are true fundamentals that you know nobody can dispute if i'm going to play shortstop i gotta hit balls to short i gotta get down get my glove down so there are fundamentals in marketing as well for advisors so you know i i i, I could say that i find it a little bit irritating but i'll usually hear it out uh to see where in fact you know uh it always starts with what the goals are, right, Joel? Because right. if your goals are very low, then chances are you could do some onesie sort of non-scalable, non-repeatable little marketing things to get you to your to your smaller goals. And what I mean by that, that you know maybe you're in that five to eight uh, million of production a year, and I don't mean to belittle that, uh, but by today's standards, that's uh, you know those are smaller goals with all the great resources that are available to you. So if that's your goal and that's what makes you happy and content then by all means, I will help you in that direction. But if you're looking to get to that 10 million, 20 million, 20 million plus, then you really need to start a beautiful love affair with all of the great marketing that's out there for advisors today um, because you're not going to get there without it. My friend, you are a craftsman and a diplomat. I would have answered that so much more caustically. So I, I appreciate I, I appreciate your answer. Um, and I'm glad you said. I'm, you know, I'm glad you prefaced that by by talking about. Um, Joel, let me growth, can I interrupt because, for one second? It's so yeah, funny please. meeting all these advisors, and I'm sure you've met with more. But your group's really more focused on higher end stuff, and maybe is it? Maybe there's all sorts in there. I'm not sure, but I, I recall being at one AE function, and we're all having dinner together, and the gentleman who was sitting there, who I will, will remain nameless. Really, I mean, it struck me. He said, I'm happy where I am. I don't want to work anymore. I don't want to spend anymore. I'm, I'm happy where I am. And I didn't want to get into it because it was really a lot of comments about laziness. And, you know, if we're not growing, we're dying. 
but I just kind of thought, you know, there's just a lot of people out there that, hey, man, I could lead you to water. I could share all these great ideas with you, but I know deep down in my core, you ain't going to do it. So, right. you know, I, I, I pick and choose my battles. I like to pick and choose who I work with and what I say. So I, I don't know if that... You know, no, I, I think it's great, and, and I think the key word there is growth. You know, if you want to grow your practice, if you want to really have a business, not just be a salesperson with support staff, then you've got to embrace different types of marketing other than just let's invite everybody to a friendly, let's invite, you know, 25 clients to a friendly dinner and have them bring 25 friends because that's a one-off event that's not very scalable. And, you know, as we talk in the Rainmaker Revolution group, you know, let's find things that are scalable and that we can automate, whether that's human automation or technical automation, so that we can do it over and over and over again. Then we're doing it enough to measure it. Then we can leverage what's working and cut back on what's not. And we can create a business where we're not slaves to our own creation. And so, um, you know, that's kind of where I was going with that. But, you know, it does bother me a little bit when I hear people. You know what I think of when I hear somebody say that is I think of if I would have heard that back in 2000, would it have swayed me to think that it's kind of cool not to market and just work by referrals? Well, can I um, say something? Uh, One of the things that I always try to introduce is a new mindset. A lot of advisors already have it if they have, if they're looking at 20 million in the rear view mirror and maybe they have for a number of years now, then I think that to some degree they've fully adopted this mentality, which is, I am first and foremost a marketing company, and second, I'm a damn fine financial services company. I think once we adopt that mindset and we start gearing up internally to have you know, the, the qualities of a Fortune 500 marketing department, which, which yes, can be learned in a smaller company, and we start doing all the things necessary to develop, protect our brand in the marketplace, and I think that this is where the magic starts to happen and where the true love affair and the passion for the marketing starts to happen. Uh, so people like that, I just I don't even want to spend any time talking about them on the podcast because, you know, you just got to move past those people. No, you're right. And I didn't mean to get off on that. What I was really trying to go to is, you know, so, so many tools that we have to bring traffic in our door. You know, you, you, you talked about your dad's retail store, and we, we talk about this in, in, in the coaching group. You know, if you're a retail operation, you want to be where there's traffic and you want to try to figure out how to create more retail traffic for a couple reasons. Number one, you don't want to be in the position where you have to sell everybody that walks into your store because that's not a very nice vibe and people will not want to walk into your store if it's like walking into somewhere where you're just getting sold. Secondly, as you grow, you want to pick and choose clients that are the right fit. And the only way I know with my personality that I can do that is to create a lot of appointments, to create a lot of retail traffic. And so then you get back to, well, how do I create that? How do I create those appointments? It's through great marketing, marketing so and I measuring. I am 100% and so in line with you there that I believe in the volume model as the starter point, okay? Let me have my fishing trawler with the biggest nets I can possibly put out and let me throw back the fish I don't want rather than the opposite, which is I use smaller nets and I have to then use tougher tactics to get what I want to get across. Now, can I evolve into a different model from there? Of course. But if you don't have enough people walking through your front door, if you do not have that, then you need to go to the volume model as a starter point, which means, you know, whatever that means for your particular business, You've got to do what it, you've got to do to get more people walking in that front door. And sometimes people hear volume and they think, well, that's a bad thing. But that doesn't have to be a bad thing at all. As a matter of fact, I would, I would say that there are very few problems in our business that cannot be solved by creating more appointments. Um, 100% agree. And I look at like this. Geez, how many times do I want to get up to the plate with the pitcher for an opportunity to hit either a single, a double, a triple, a homer, or a grand slam? And the, the you know, I'll ask 100 advisors this, and they will say, I want more opportunities. So you know what? Here's another thing that irritates me, because let's talk about some irritating things, Joel. Good, the advisors, I like that. Or for that matter, whoever who expects their marketing to be served to them on a silver platter. It needs to be perfect. It only has this person coming to me. It doesn't do that. And you know what? That ain't the way it works. 
that just ain't the way it works. You gotta, you gotta find those cherries that are in there. And you know what? You gotta kiss a lot of frogs before you meet the prince, everybody, right? Well, absolutely. And, you know, if you're creating more traffic than you want, don't cut back on the traffic. Get some other producers that can process those appointments. You know, you're kind of like this appointment processing company, right? Create an appointment, process the appointment. Create an appointment, process the appointment. On the back end of that appointment, some will become clients, some won't, but you don't have to see all those people. Now, some people also think when they look at a practice like mine or or some of the others, um, they think, well, you know, the, 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 the only reason Joel's doing the production he's doing is because he's got all these sub-producers. Well, no, that's not the answer to, to problems. Um, oh, you know what? It's not only not the answer. One of the things that you've done very well is you've created systems, okay? And so, for example, I, I, I'm a big advocate when I talk to advisors that, okay, first of all, it's an absolute miracle that I can drop a piece of direct mail into the marketplace and actually get somebody to pick up the phone and do something. It's a miracle. Now, once I get them to pick up the phone, this is where a lot of advisors drop the ball. And it really starts with lead capture. So what are we doing to truly capture that lead? And what is our process of conversion into that appointment? And then the conversion process of that appointment into a client. And when we look deeper into that that system that they have in place, invariably we find holes, in some cases large chasms where, oh my goodness, I didn't even realize that I wasn't nurturing this phone call or web lead all the way to the appointment and I didn't realize that I wasn't doing all the things necessary to in fact convert them to uh, an, an, an account or, or, or a new, new, uh, new lead, new, new client. So that's a great segue. Let's talk about some of those mistakes, and, and I don't know if we need to talk about it in the context of dropping a direct mail piece to get somebody to come to a workshop, but that's probably a good context since that's the way most of us are using direct mail. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making? And maybe even back up to the mailing um, sure. and, well, and hit, you know, and, hit, and hit the big three to five or seven deadly sins there. Yeah, any sort of inbound call work or inbound web lead work, uh, we have to put a system together. And I'll speak about phone first. Uh, I am a huge advocate, and I know that this is going to ruffle some feathers. I do not want you to take calls to your office. You are not a quasi-call center. You are only open 9 to 5. Spend a little bit of money and have a 24-7 call center with a prepared script that you've put together that's appropriate for your business, and let's capture every stinking piece of business that has picked up the phone to call you. I'm, I joke about this, but I'm actually quite serious, Joel. I'm lead greedy. I don't want anything slipping through the cracks. You as an advisor have spent an enormous amount of time, energy, resources, and money to get people to pick up the phone and call. Now, I'll share with you two studies because I'm a big believer in data, as I know you are, Joel, and, and let's face the facts. Great marketers base their decisions on great data. So let me share this with you. I had RME do an internal study to see how many people actually called from the invites between 9 and 5 and how many people called outside of 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, and on the weekends. And the split was 65-35, meaning... 35% of those calls came in after hours. So if you're taking calls at your office, first of all, if you're taking calls at your office, chances are there will be times when the person that you've got that takes the inbound lead flow is either at the bathroom, on another call, working on something else, and then it either goes into a voicemail or it goes to someone else who isn't necessarily the right type of person to be taking an inbound lead. Uh, so there's that. Then after hours, okay, I'll, t I'll tell you another study that I, I looked into, and I Googled a ton of information on this to see what is the hang-up rate on when you call in with the expectation of speaking to a human, okay, to either set up a reservation or order a free report or set call in for an appointment, you know, that type of thing. And the studies were all over the place. They were between 20 and 50% hang-up. Now, no, there was no part of the study that said they, they call back or this and that. So I'm going to make the assumption that they don't call back, that life gets in the way. So let's take can, it can I just clarify? Can I clarify that? So sure. they hang up when they don't get a live human? Correct. 
So 50% of the people hang up when they don't get a live human. That's, that's a huge... On the low end of the scale was 20%. That's a huge leak in your bucket if you're... Huge. Huge leak. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I could make an argument there alone, the reason I have a 24-hour call center, and that's for your radio, your television, your print, your targeted direct mail, whatever it is. Invest the dollars. You can have a... And I'm just going to go on this for one second. You can have a really good call center for less than $1,000 a month. And I don't mean to throw that out lightly. I know that, as my father says, that ain't lunch money, okay? But if I miss leads during the course of the month, man, oh man, that call center has paid for itself back so many times over. So if you know, if I take 35% and 20% of that, it really, when I calculated the numbers, it was around an 8% fall off that I would have of inbound leads, okay, eight to 10% by not utilizing a 24-hour call center. So um, that's, that's that piece of it, okay? Now let me go to the website. And by the way, one of the things that a lot of advisors don't do is their own internal quality control, okay? If I have a call center and if I'm doing a lot of web lead work, I'm going to want at least once a week someone on my staff to make a call, a quality control call, go through as John Smith at 123 Elm Street, and I'm also going to do that through all of my web um, uh, touch points, whether that's for a free report, for an appointment, for a seminar, whatever that's going to be. You will at times find that there's an issue, and that's how you're going to get it cleared up because chances are nobody's going to tell you that there's a problem. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's so true. And I get, uh, you know, my staff kind of shudders at the thought that because what will happen is I'll be sitting in an airport and I'll – go on our and this doesn't happen it hasn't happened for a while but this is how it used to happen i'd be sitting in an airport i go hey let me go on our website and see what it looks like and how irritating it was is it for me when the first thing i try doesn't work right you know if i hit an opt-in for a free report and the first thing i try doesn't work right and so that just screams at me that nobody's looking at this stuff and um i i love that i love the secret shopper idea you know have somebody call in um and make a fake reservation. I'm not sure if that's how you said to do it, but, you know, have somebody call in, make a fake reservation, see what the uh, see what the process is like. You know, back in 2005, I had joined Nancy Brunetti, and it was either 05 or 06, and the only marketing we were doing, the only marketing to non-clients that we were doing was uh, well, direct mail to seminars. And Nancy wanted to take all the calls in-house because she felt like it would be a better customer experience. And we got into this debate back and forth about, you know, why are we doing this and so on. And one day I sat, we had a woman working for us named Dee, and I sat near her in with two offices. So I was down in the other office and just working at a cube and uh, listening to her take these calls the day the mail had dropped. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Not only are, are some of the calls not getting to her because people are calling at the same time, but she can't get any work done. It's completely disruptive. And I don't know if the quality is is better when they call a call center or not, but I'll tell you what, if you want to set parameters in your business where you have some kind of a sane schedule and your people can get their work done and they're not interrupted every two or three minutes the day your invites drop, I think just that alone is worth it. Just to act like a real business. I mean, if you were if you were doing, I have a friend of mine that I'm in a coaching group with who's in the real estate, teaching people how to make money in real estate business. He does 60 seminars a month. Now, obviously, he himself does not do 60 seminars a month, but his company has 60 seminars a month going on around the country. I guarantee you that none of his employees are taking any of those incoming calls when he does his radio ads and direct mail to get people to those real estate seminars. And I guarantee another thing, too. He measures everything. I mean, there's so many lessons that can be learned from the great direct marketers. So I'm so glad that we're having this conversation here, Mark. What other mistakes do you see people making? Um, Okay. Well, I think uh, I'll tell you another thing that I've seen a lot of lately uh, is that people don't – they haven't really defined their marketing universe. And and let me explain that. They've sort of haphazardly picked a few zip codes – that they're going to start marketing to, but there was never really any thought process behind it. Um, so what we try to do is we'll go in with data for a 30-mile radius of the office, and we'll try to put a cogent system of data clusters together uh, for their print and targeted direct mail. Because let's face the facts. I mean, 
the vast majority of advisors, and I'll share another study I did with you in a moment, uh, you, you really need to employ targeted direct mail uh, on some level uh, as one of your irons in the fire, okay? And I'll, and I'll share with you for the study I did just for, for, for dinner seminars. And I, I mean dinner seminars, not no food, not lunches, not breakfast, but dinner seminars. Or for the, not college courses, not alternative, read this, general public dinner seminars. Um, before I did the journey uh, in April of 2013 with Matt Dickin, I went to Advisors Excel, and at that time, Aaron Batchelor was our VP, and I said, Aaron, would you do me a favor and find out of the top 10 advisors there, how many of them are employing general public dinner seminars as part of their overall marketing strategy? And uh, that was eight of the top 10, uh, so 80%. Uh, at that time, you know, uh, Josh Melberg was part of it, uh, Steve Holland. So those two, right off the bat, have very unique uh, models that they work with. Uh, one all radio, one all internet. So the other eight. So then I said, go to the top, find out the top 20. So it was 17 of the top 20, or 85 percent, uh, were utilizing general public dinner seminars as part of their overall marketing strategy. So if that is in fact what we're doing, then we really need to. If you haven't defined it, you need to define your marketing universe. And if you've defined it, then you need to redefine it. Um, and too many times I'm finding a, a gigantic holes, and I mean I'm finding tens of thousands, no joke, tens of thousands of households that they're not marketing to that fit the model that they want to market to. So one of the things I would say tomorrow uh, is order from your mailhouse um, and a 30-mile radius of your office and start strategically putting together your data clusters, zones, quadrants, whatever you want to call them, so that you have a true uh, targeted, and it's called targeted direct mail for a reason, right, Joel? Right, right, you exactly. Put these together rather than this sort of haphazard, I mail to these zip codes and we'll see what happens, and I kind of just have those in rotation. And I'm talking, I've gone to $20 million plus offices, and I see this mistake over and over and over, and again, invariably, we're able to find thousands of households that they should be marketing to that they aren't and they just don't even know why they never got set up that way in the first place. Now are they missing those households because they're putting in um, income and investable asset parameters that are too high? Well uh, that could be it and by the way just so you know I don't use the income filter anymore okay. Um, yeah we don't um, either. I, I just use an IPA filter and depending where you are in the concentration of households around your office, whether you know, you're urban, uh, suburban, or rural, you know, we, we kind of stretch these rules a little bit, okay? So for me, um, you know, that 100,000 and up is pretty straightforward, okay? But for some advisors, they do 250 and up, and they're still able to do a 10,000-piece mailer at 250 and up, so that's great. But not everyone's afforded that opportunity. So certainly 100 and up. This will give us what we want to market to. And again, I like the volume model, Joel. I can later move to 250 and up. Hey, listen, we all know there's some advisors doing 500 and up, but they live in a more concentrated, densely populated area, and they can create a large mailer with 500 and up. So yes, that would be one of them. The other thing is that they just never took... Can I, can I make a... Let me, let me make a comment on that, Mark, because I think this is really instructive for a lot of people that are trying to screen middle-class folks out of their seminars. So, um, because somehow we have this idea that we only want to work with wealthy people, which is a whole other yeah, discussion. Yeah, and again, you know, but, I go back to my, you know, um, my fishing trawler analogy. I'd rather catch the fish and release them than not catch enough because I was only focused on one particular client, which, by the way, so I have to acknowledge that there are a few offices that do it well, but they have, I have to say this in the same breath, they evolved into that process. It is not scalable, it is not repeatable, and in my opinion, if you're going to qualify on the front end prior to them coming to your, to your event, you are going to lose a lot of good prospects. I'm I would really against that. there, get yeah. the appointments, and then qualify after I have the appointments before they come into the office. And even yeah, there, I'm going to use a liberal, loose qualification process, okay, because, listen, 
If I got $5 million, I'm just going to make, you know, take an arbitrary number. If I'm an affluent prospect, okay, with millions, do you think I'm really going to tell you on the phone before I meet you how much I have, regardless no. of how you go about it? No way. Do you way. really think that? Because no if way. you do, you're, I, in my <laughs> opinion, okay, I think you're heavily mistaken. Yeah. So I would yeah. rather have, and by the way, I'm also an advocate of my events of having a very full room with a lot of energy. So when I say, welcome to the stage, author, television personality, and financial advisor, Joel Johnson, woo! You know, I got 40 people clapping their hands, and that's the way an event should start, right? With a lot of energy coming out of the gate like a thoroughbred. Oh, that's there's so much there's and I hope those of you that are listening to this go back and listen to that over again. There are so many things in there that we've talked about and some things that we haven't talked about in the in the Rainmaker small group. Um, let me back up a minute and just I'll just tell you what our experience has been here. And you can critique this or, or, or say that it confirms exactly what you've said. But, you know, we have a, I think we have eight or nine mailing zones. We always mail 10 to 12,000 pieces. I think there's one zone where we even mail 14,000. Um, almost, I would say, out of those nine mailing zones, we have three of them where we go a hundred thousand and above IPA. The other ones we're able to go to two fifty, but our most profitable workshops are in the ones where we've got to go down to a hundred to get the ten to twelve thousand. It's these blue collar areas that everybody in the world is ignoring because they're all marketing to the place the places where, quite frankly, a lot of the advisors live, which is the hoity-doity, nice, beautiful neighborhoods with the perfect schools and the, you know, the, I mean, we can get into that whole thing. So, um, so it's, you know, that 100,000 to 250, and we did an experiment a while back, and I talked about this on one of the podcasts where we had this one area, very affluent area, and we said, let's go 500,000 and up. Our results dropped dramatically not only for people showing up at the workshop, but for the conversion rate to clients. We dropped that back down to 250, and not only did we get more people at the workshops, but our closing ratio from appointments set to clients convert, to those people converted into clients tripled, and the profitability of those workshops went way up. And guess what? We're not getting poor people. Just by dropping the mailing down to 250 from 500, we're not getting poor people. We're getting just as many wealthy people as we did before. There's just something funny about some of these data points that the mailhouse uses where you could be excluding people that are your target market and only getting people that, you know, quite frankly, the 5 or $10 million net worth guy needs a lot more services than some of us want to provide. So um, there's just a lot of meat in, in what Mark is saying here. And, um, you know, the only, the only things that we use is we use age, homeowner, and IPA which is investable assets. We do not use an income filter. That can be very problematic. So, Mark, do you want to comment on any of that? Am I, am I thinking no, correctly they, about this? I, I, I'm all, I, I do not want to contest anything you said. I'm a big believer. Listen, there's a lot of meat on the bone between 100 and 250. And I'll go one step further, Joel. You know, your office and your model of multiple producers, you have an obligation to feed those folks. And listen, not every advisor is a 20-year advisor, right? So I, I tell those, those advisors that I work with, I'm like, listen, you've got a newbie here. They're less than a year in the industry. You're, you're coaching them up, and you're doing all the shadowing and all those great things. But let, let's, let's remember a couple things here. One is, do you remember when you first started out how you hustled? You did Saturday evenings, this, that, all these different things. And, you know, you wrote a $40,000 annuity. You wrote a $72,000 annuity. And you were happy to write those. Don't take that away from your new people. Do not start them at 500,000 and up. It's just, that's just not a good starter place. So for a while, for your newbies, listen, Joel, what's the hardest sale you're ever gonna make in your life when you go to a new company? It's the first one. That's the hardest sale you're ever gonna make. So let's reduce 250 to 100, because you're feeding someone right now, okay? And let's, let's let them get 10 notches on their belt, because there's nothing more important in the sales world than having confidence. And if I can change my model for a little bit, maybe three to six months, and go from 250 to 100, and really feed this new advisor or this new, these new advisors that I have, then I, I create machines, okay, by doing that. And I think that you know that study that you just talked about of moving down from 500 to 250, in some cases 100. If people took if people took that seriously in more offices around the country for 
again, a multi-producer environment situation, they would be able to feed their advisors so much more. And then another thing that I'll do, Joel, is I'll ask them, okay, these advisors that say, well, I only do X amount and up. I go, realistically, come on, be honest with me. You're going to write a $100,000 annuity? Without pause, of course I am. Well, then, you know, let's be honest with each other. Then why are you doing 250 and up? And then I'll go another thing, too. All of this stuff is built on what's called model data. It isn't perfect. You know, there is a, the data companies, which incidentally I think are going to take over the world someday, they are, they are privy to so much information, but it's not perfect. So they have to create these algorithms for data. Okay, so I also think that something magic happens when you go down to 250 or when you go down to 100, that you just have a, it's a much better pond to fish in at the end of the day. And, and your numbers, and again, great marketers base their decisions on great data. Your numbers prove it. Yeah, and I can't, I can't say enough about data, knowing your numbers, telling the truth. You know, this is the other thing is some advisors, they, they, they don't tell the truth about their numbers. Um, they feel like there's this contest going on because of the things that they've heard throughout their career, and it's the contest going on in their head. This isn't even a public debate. It's just going on in their head. They think that, you know, oh, I better focus on this, and I better focus on that. Sometimes it's closing ratios. Sometimes it's I only work with high net worth people. You know, all these messages that they've somehow internalized that prevent them from being true about their data. The first Rainmaker group I did, I showed – um, I showed I showed something where I think we only need to close 20% of the prospects that walk in our door and make only 20% clients, and we can still have like a 35% profit margin. And then people misinterpreted that. One guy actually dropped out of the group because he said, why would I only want to close 20%? I close 80%. Well, <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what to say to that person. You close 80% and you're not in the top 150. So you're either not telling yourself the truth, you're not working, or you don't even know how to measure a business. So, you know, the, it's got to be about the data. The data doesn't lie if you get accurate data. And we run reports so many different ways. I know exactly what our rate of return is on the first year from workshop, from radio, from TV, from direct mail, from some targeted Facebook stuff we're doing. And you've got to know that because it, it will just save you. And what happens? What happens if all of a sudden the state of Connecticut says we can't do din dinner seminars anymore? I'm going to be fine because I've got my data and I know exactly what the next most profitable marketing channel is. I know what I can afford to spend on it. I know what I spent on the seminars, what I'm freeing up. I know how much of my labor uh, of employees was going towards the dinner seminars that I can now either unfortunately maybe lay off some of those folks or reallocate that labor. But if you don't have the data, you're just, a, you're nothing more than a glorified salesperson. Wow, and I'll tell you what, if, we were, if our next question was going to be, what else are advisors making a big mistake with? It is not knowing your number. And, and let, let's talk about that for a second. You should be able to, in real time, create reports in your office. Again, real time, create reports in your office for all of the numbers that you need to, ready? Here's the keyword. Ready, everybody? Innovate. If I don't know my numbers, how can I innovate next year? How can I know that, um, you know, the four irons I have in the fire, irons one and two are killing it, irons three and four aren't, and I should be maybe reallocating those dollars into one and two or finding a new one altogether. I can't innovate, which is probably the most important thing a business does every year. It is impossible for me to innovate if I don't know my number. So in essence, it's impossible for me to grow efficiently if I don't know my number. And I will tell you something. Again, I, I know I, there are very, very few offices that I've had the opportunity to travel to who could tell me in real time all of their numbers. Yeah, I, that, and that doesn't surprise me. And some of it's a challenge. Some of it's there's a lag. But you ought to at least be able – you know, if I say to my group, which is going to start as we record this on a Thursday – on Monday, I have, you know, 35 people coming to Nashville to, to, to sit in my group. And if I say to them, if I said to them on Monday, last Monday, right, guys, we're going to get together a week from now. I need you to bring me your revenues from last year, your real net income, what your marketing channels were, what you spent on the marketing, what you returned on the marketing. That should not be, I can get that in about an hour from Lori. 
um, actually less because we've already done it, but you should be able to get that in a week at the most. And Mark says real time. And there's something going on right now in the direct marketing world, guys, where um, these internet TV programs that are basically infomercials online, they are actually taking data real time and modifying the live TV show based on the data they're getting from the call-in and the website hits. That's how tight real time is becoming. So if you can't even get your numbers like a month or two later, you're you're just uh, you're just leaving you're leaving so much money on the table. And what does money mean? It means lifestyle. It means time with family. It means a quality business. It means being able to go away for a month and have your business still run. And if you don't have that data, you're just guessing. You might get away with guessing, but after a while, it'll catch up with you. And I'll share another thing too, because until these things become painful for somebody, that's when they're going to change it. And uh, you know, Cody shared this great. <laughs> This great saying with me, Joel, and I'll share it with you. And I can't remember who he gave credit to for it, but he's like, you know, there's a blessing and a curse in this business, Mark. The blessing is that we make a lot of money per new client, but the curse is we make a lot of money per new client. In other words, I don't necessarily need to be that organized or, you know, uh, on a weekly, monthly, annual basis to make a good living. But you could make so much more of a significantly better living if you made the conscious decision to become a lot more organized. And, and just like you were saying, organization directly translates into revenue, which directly translates into more time with my family, a better business, less anxiety, overall contentment. That's great. And let me just say one other thing about data. And then, Mark, I'd like to, in the last uh, little while we have here, let you talk about whatever you want to talk about, or maybe ask me some questions, um, you know, and kind of um, we can have a discussion over different things and so on. But before we do that, you know, there's also the idea is if you were truly a marketer, you are testing. If you don't keep your data, you can't test. If you're not profitable enough so that there's some extra money to try new things, you're never going to discover the next thing that's maybe a huge breakthrough. You know, the reason we kept our workshop data, or one of the outcomes of us keeping great workshop data and knowing exactly how profitable we are, was having the cash flow to try radio and then test radio and get that so nailed down that then we had the cash flow to write a couple hundred thousand dollar check to do TV. And knowing that if we never make a dollar back on TV, we're going to be just fine because we've got all this data on not just cash flow, but what do we need to do to turn a lever to create another you know, set of workshops or whatever. And, and, and then we test. We test on TV. We test on radio. We test with workshops. We test invitations. If I run an invitation that doesn't work, it's just a test. That's what marketers call failure is a test. And we say that as kind of a joke, but don't expect to make money if you are truly running a growth business and it really is a business, which means you can check out and there's still something there producing revenue and producing value for your customers. Um, you've got to be able to test and you've got to be able to learn new marketing techniques. I guarantee you Josh Melberg with the money he's spending on marketing knows not only all his numbers, but he's constantly tweaking a word of copy, tweaking the television show that he's advertising on, checking the difference between if I advertise on the morning or the afternoon or late night. You know, yes, it costs me a tenth as much to advertise late night, but if I'm getting a 20th of the money, it doesn't make sense. All that kind of stuff, you've got to, as a real marketer, do that. And what it does is it creates your practice, in my opinion, it creates your business to be bulletproof. Because then, you've got the confidence of that data and somebody's going to come along. In, in this business, we get whipsawed. Some new rules, some new regulation, a legal problem. You were doing something wrong and the regulators want to bang you for $100,000 in fines. Things that we don't expect come along. If you have the confidence of knowing that's okay, I know what I'm doing. I know if I show up and I do one, two, three, that this is what's going to come down the, come down the pike. It's just going to create a, a real powerful business and an amazing amount of confidence for you. Yeah, and I'm just to piggyback on, I just tell people, beware of the shiny pennies that are out there, this new and improved something or other that's just, I'm, I'm a, you know, I believe in the foundational pieces of great advisor marketing, and I have my 12 pillars of great financial marketing, okay? So beware of those. And what I tell people is just, just what you're saying. Listen, 80% of my budget at a minimum that I've allocated for my marketing, okay, is what I call bread and butter dollars. 
that these are things that every year without fail we know succeed. 80% plus should be in my bread and butter items. I know every year that these, these, these work. I can take 20% or less, okay, and then I can start doing um, testing, as you, if you will, demoing other things, beta testing, and then tracking. And then as I like to say, if we can track, why don't we become hyper trackers? Let's try to track every metric that we can uh, so that we can, in fact, go back to that word I said earlier, innovate. We can't innovate if we don't know our number, if we haven't tracked anything. Um, and it's all about innovation. And Tony Robbins, I'm going to quote him for a moment because I'm a student of his, that at the end of the day, all a business has is marketing and innovation. That's all they have. So that's my, that's that's my piggyback, Joel. So, Mark, what other, what other tips would you have here um, or ideas or maybe questions that might be disturbing to, to some of us out here? Um, I'll, I'll share another thing that I find disturbing from office to office and these, these companies that I visit that say they're, they're genuinely committed to, you know, creating more production. However, they are not allotting time to work on their business. They are so mired in working in their business that they haven't scheduled as, as, you know, on the schedule one hour a week, every single week without fail, it is as important as any other appointment, a strategy session with the appropriate team members, ownership, executive management, marketing team. So that is something that's just a lot of offices are ships passing in the night. And I really, I'm pushing now from office to office that we establish these, these 10 rules that I have to create a Fortune 500 marketing department under your roof. It's going to make progress a lot easier when you're all communicating with each other. And in particular, Joel, the vision of ownership to all of the team members. If I'm the owner and I'm not getting my vision across, well, then how can I expect my team to operate at a high rate in the direction I want them to go? So more time, and I could spend hours talking about setting up a, a, a true Fortune 500 marketing department, but you've got to spend more time with the appropriate team members. It's got to be one hour every week at a minimum to talk about the strategy of moving forward in your company. Excellent. Excellent. So I highly recommend for those of you that are listening to this podcast to, to engage Mark. Mark, how, how does somebody engage you if they want to uh, – I, I think you do in-office visits. I think that's your preferred way of, of working. Is that correct? So how does that work? How, how does how does somebody do that? And and I and I hope you get a big spike here because a lot of the things that I talk about in the coaching group, you know, we're sitting there in a room with thirty or forty people in a hotel room in Dallas or Chicago or Nashville or whatever. But it, there's a tremendous amount of power when somebody comes into your office and just takes over for for a couple days. You can afford to not have appointments for a couple days, guys. And um, you know, if you can't, it just means you really need it more. And 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 so, how does somebody how does somebody engage in that? What do we do? What number do we call? What website do we go to? Let's talk about the whole process right now. Great. Uh, I have contracted with AE with my company to do thirty on sites um, with them. So you call up your VP and or Kari Denton, okay, to schedule that. So here's what it is: we'll have a half hour meet and greet call. We'll schedule a one-hour discovery call. You'll fill out what's called a gap report, which gives me uh, a lot of important information about your company. Then my team will fly out for a day and a half. Uh, our preference would be to fly out when you have a seminar. So day one will be a half day, followed by attending your seminar where I do an audit. And then the next day will be a full day in the office to discuss all things marketing. And I mean all things marketing. So whether that's you know building a Fortune 500 marketing department, event marketing, image brand development, radio strategies, television strategies, referral strategies, CRM strategies, alternative marketing, philanthropy, whatever that's going to be, we're going to come in loaded for bear for you. Uh, then we have a deliverable, which is a 12-tap binder of everything that we've discussed. Uh, and then after you receive that, which is two weeks after our visit, uh, we then have two one-hour follow-up calls uh, to go over our visit. Two key words that I'll use throughout the entire visit is transparency and accountability. Accountability really being the number one word. So we're going to create an action plan when we're all finished. I'll have 20 plus points on it that 
I'll be accountable to you, you to me, you to AE, AE to you, so that we really have some serious momentum uh, or we're able to build momentum to get you to your production goals. Um, and that's basically it. So I'm booked up through first, almost through second quarter now. So I'm doing late second quarter, third quarter, and fourth quarter stuff. So if you are interested, uh, there are some fees associated with it. They'll go over all of that uh, when you call them. And, um, you know, we're off to the races. Awesome. So what I would love to see you guys do listening to this is, uh, is you know, engage Mark. It's, it's the next step. It's the next step to all the things we've been talking about. And I didn't really plan to pitch this to use a kind of a crass word but i think it's it's really valuable and you know we talk in my group folks about the real deal you know and there's people out there giving advice that are the real deal and there's unfortunately a lot of people out there that some of you listen to for advice that aren't the real deal and and mark's numbers and his successes back him up and so i would encourage you if you haven't had this in-depth marketing study or even if you have um you know have them come in and, and do this forensic analysis on your stuff uh, I can't imagine you wouldn't get a 10, 20, 30 times return on the money you spend and the time you spend doing it. So, Mark, thank you so much for being on this. I, uh, this has helped a lot of people. And um, uh, anything you want to say in closing here? No, Joel, I just I love it. I, I really enjoy the platform that AE and the folks at AE have given me to, you know, really share great marketing information. And, again, tested, tried, and true. No shiny pennies here, all data-driven uh, it's, it's always a pleasure to be able to, to share that information with everyone. And, and then I just encourage people to, you know, grab hold of it and, and start running. So I thank you so much. And, hey, I'd love to be on again sometime. Uh, so uh, keep that in mind. Well, let's do that. All right, Mark, thank you so much. All right, thank you, Joel. And for everybody listening out there, thank you for joining me for another Rainmaker Revolution podcast. We will talk to you again soon.